Welcome to the Beyond the Box Score podcast. In this episode, I interview Coach Will Jones. He's the former coach at North Carolina A&T and the winner of the 2019-2020 MEAC Coach of the Year. Coach, how's it going? Doing great, man. Doing great. Can't complain at this point. Coach, you want to give yourself a brief introduction to our listeners? Yeah, Will Jones, uh, former uh, head coach at North Carolina A&T, 21-year Division One coach and uh, leader, father, um, and, you know, it's a coach trying to impact. No doubt. Talk about growing up in South Carolina. Oh, man, you know uh, – you got to say Monk's Corner. So, you know, if you, if you say South Carolina, it's a lot of different places. I mean, you got the big city spots. But um, I grew up in a town, uh, Monk's Corner, South Carolina, outside of Charleston. And um, Monk's Corner is kind of like Friday Night Lights, man. It's a football town. And, um, you know, so, you know, all of the athletes, man, we all play three sports, track, football, in basketball, and uh, we've had some really good, really good guys come out of come out of our city, man. You know, to be so small, and so um, it was good, man. Learned a lot. All right. So, what was your event in track and field? So I did a long jump and high jump, man. You know what I mean? And a quick story, man. I mean, I think I think the funny the funniest thing I remember looking back at it, you know. They had me do hurdles early, and then, you know I'm like, man, hurdles. You got to be talented to do hurdles, man. Like you got to have flexibility. You got to be. It's not really jumping over the hurdles. It's striding over the hurdles, and they just could not get me to stride over the hurdles. I I didn't believe in the technique that they were trying to get me to do, man. So I remember we had uh, one of the top, I think the top uh, one ten hurdles uh, athlete in our in our region man and that cat dusted me off so bad man it was unbelievable what kind of recruitment did you have as far as college basketball goes you know man um you know a lot of people don't know this uh i actually uh was recruited for football also um my like i said we we were a really uh really good football school and um i had some interest with clemson and carolina people like that and, uh, you know, basketball wasn't really um, huge in my area. And so I actually started off, I got recruited to a D2, um, Erskine College there in South Carolina. And I played one year at Erskine and I transferred to South Carolina State. And that's where I finished my career and really what made my name and had an opportunity to play in the NCAA tournament and play for Coach Alexander. And, uh, you know, uh, really, really a great foundation in terms of uh, my basketball career. Actually, one of the real reasons I got into coaching, because being from a, a small town, um, I wanted to really go into those small towns and, and recruit those student athletes, man, because, uh, you know, to give them opportunities because there are tons of talents in small towns. It's just we don't have the access to uh, the big time AAU programs and different things like that. And so uh, that, that was one of the major reasons early why I became a coach. You're part of three regular season championships, two MEAC tournament titles, you know, under Coach Alexander. Aside from talent, what made those teams so successful? Man, the culture. I mean, I, the culture of the program, um, you know, that when you 
everybody's not uh, able to be a part of a program. Some people, and especially now with the way the landscape is, you're either going to be a part of a really good team, um, especially going forward because of how many people are transferring now. Um, there are not a lot of four-year guys. Um, but, man, I was able to be a part of a program that when I stepped on campus the first day at South Carolina State, you know, I remember one of my teammates walking up to me and said, hey, man, listen, I just, you know, we're about defense here, man. <laughs> you know, I mean, I'm like, that. This, this, you know, <laughs> this, is, this is this dude walking up. He ain't talking to me about girls. He ain't talking to me. You know, listen, we play defense here, defense and rebounding. Like it was, in, it was, it was ingrained in the culture and the fabric. And it was just what we did. And so um, the culture of the program, everybody understanding that what the standards were, the standards were we were going to compete to win a championship every single year. And that's how we carried ourselves. Yeah, as a senior, you were a captain. You guys won the, the 03 MEAC tournament championship, 72 to 67 over Hampton. What do you remember about that championship game and the celebration afterwards? Man. What I remember, you know, we had to play Hampton twice. We played them in the regular season championship in Hampton. Um, and it was funny. We I think we only lost three games that year and um, uh, in conference play. And I think one of them was the night before, was the game before at Norfolk. Norfolk beat us at the buzzer. And then we had to turn around and play in the regular season championship at Hampton. And uh, we ended up winning that game in, in Hampton. So we secured the regular season title there. But in the in the tournament, we were down twenty in the first half. We were down twenty, and uh, we had to come back. And um, I think we ended up getting up twenty at some point, and uh, actually ended up winning that game. But um, you know, that celebration, being able to um, you know uh, you know finally you know punch the ticket, um, you know the year before we got upset on a buzzer beater in the tournament by Tommy Adams in Hampton. So, I mean, just, uh, you know, being able to say, Hey man, what's next? We're going to the dance that, that, that's a, that's an experience that a lot of kids don't get. It's an experience of a lifetime. You guys faced Kelvin Sampson's Oklahoma Sooners in the first round of the NCAA tournament that year. How tough was it not only to be a 16 seed facing a one you're facing them less than 30 minutes from their campus though. Listen, it was unbelievable. I told, I went to Houston last year and visited with Coach Sampson and his staff and his assistants, both uh, Hollis Price and um, uh, one of the other assistants. I can't remember his name right now. But both of them were on that team. And uh, we reminisced a little bit. And Hollis was the guy. Like, he was their guy. And he didn't come out. So we were warming up. And when they came out, it was loud. Like, the, the crowd was loud. It was packed. But, see, Hollis didn't come out with the team. He came out, like, five minutes afterwards. And when he ran out of the locker room, when he came onto the floor, it was like the sonic boom. It was unbelievable how many people. I mean, the whole arena just stood up, man, and they were, I couldn't hear myself talk. That's how loud it was in there, man. And uh, they definitely put us in the Lions then when they sent us to Oklahoma to play the Sooners, man. You graduated from South Carolina State, and you moved on to be a graduate assistant at Tennessee State when your head coach accepted the head coaching job at Tennessee State. 
who else was on the coaching staff? And did you always know that you wanted to be a coach? You know, man, um, it was funny. Uh, actually, my senior year, I had already accepted a uh, uh, management trainee program job with Sears and Roebuck uh, for $45,000. Um, I was moving to Philadelphia to, to, to start that program. And, you know, um, I wasn't a business major, but I was uh, I was in the uh, sports communication field. And one of my frat brothers actually said, told me I had pretty good grades. And so he told me to interview. So I just interviewed and I interviewed and I ended up making it to the second interview. They flew me out to the Sears Tower in Chicago, Illinois. And I interviewed uh, in front of, you know, you know, you know, 10 people in a room and, you know, just asking you questions. And um, I'm looking around their kids from Harvard, Yale and Princeton and people like that. And, I'm looking at myself like, man, this is unbelievable, you know, to be able to be in the midst. And um, so I go back to Orangeburg and um, I get a call about a month later and they said that they wanted to offer me a, a position. And um, I was really excited about it, you know, because, you know, the trajectory uh, of the people that took those trainee programs, I mean, they were, you know, six figure, you know, six figure earners and, you know, you know, life is good because they're growing from the, the bottom up in those companies. And um, so, you know, that's what I thought I was going to be doing. And, um, but again, we went to the NCAA tournament that year. And I remember coach uh, calling me. Uh, he got back from the final four. Then he called me. I went over his home and he uh, asked me to, to join his staff at Tennessee state. He was going to accept that job. And, um, I needed to be the GA. He wanted me to be the GA. And um, and so, but he didn't tell me that, you know, that the date Tennessee State didn't know that they wanted me to be the GA yet. So it, that that part of it, I had, you know, I had to get on the phone and I had to, you know, talk to the uh, the department chairs and the AD and, you know, I called them, you know, once, twice, three times a week just to make sure everything, paperwork was lined up. And because they didn't have a GA before, I was the first one. Um, to take that position. And so, I, you know, I had to grind that out. That was the first part of my recruiting, my, my recruiting job. And so, uh, but we had a really good staff. Darren Tillis was on that staff, who was a former Clemson assistant, Larry Shide guy, Jamal Brown, who came with us from Tennessee State. Jay Joyner was the uh, graduate, was the uh, basketball operations guy. Mark Pittman um, was a, was an assistant, and obviously Coach Alexander was the head coach. And so um, really good staff, really, really tight-knit staff. And, um, you know, we, we, uh, we started that thing at Tennessee State trying to, trying to get them out of the cellar. Talk about those two years of the GA and kind of how your relationship with Coach Alexander changed from your days as a player at South Carolina State. Yeah, man, it was it was uh, it was interesting being able to be in the meetings, you know, um, and seeing what those decision making um, processes were, and um, seeing it from a coach's perspective. And um, but coach, he had the same attitude. It was about you know setting the standard. And um, when you're a former player, you kind of know what the temperature of the room is, how coach wants it, and so that was good for him to have people around him that knew that. And um, 
And so uh, they always used to call me Little Sai. They said, here comes Little Sai, you know what I mean? Because I, I really, really took the job seriously. I took the job seriously, man. Um, you know, um, you know, I didn't see myself as a GA. I saw myself as a coach. And, um, I, you know, uh, I took on projects that um, I put up my 110% in. And, you know, I can go back. I go back to, you know, we've been, I've been back to TSU twice um, as a coach. And I see uh, they, they still have – TSU has a lot of different things that they have on the wall there. And I see two of my projects that are still hanging in the gym that I did when I was a GA, man. And, I you know, I think back, I'm like, man, this was two of my projects. And, 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 and it was simple things. It was basically, you know, they had a couple championship teams, I think 90, 93, 94, that they won the OVC. And I basically, you know, put those images – um, put those images on a poster, got them framed really nice. And uh, it was a part of our lounge area for the players. And um, over the years, as coaches have come in, I guess, the, you know, the, as they change things out, they decided that those pieces were pretty, pretty cool. When I, and, and, I, and, I, and when I walk in the gym, those those pictures are there. So, you know, it just it just gives me, you know, perspective in terms of, you know, how, how much energy I put into those projects. That's big time. You know, after you finished your master's, um, you stayed in Tennessee, become an assistant coach at Lemoyne Owen College uh, for that 05-06 season. What was that D2 experience like for you? Man, you're talking about unbelievable. Uh, you know, I was a GA at Tennessee State, and I wasn't a GA that stayed in, I mean, for those two years, the um, – Summers, Kentucky, Maryland, Tennessee, um, South Carolina, Clemson. I worked so many basketball camps and met so many people that uh, it was unbelievable. So I knew all the other GAs, a lot of them from across the country. Um, you know, uh, I talked about we talked about Ashley Howard before we got on the line, and and me and Ashley met at Maryland's camp. You know. Uh, we met at Maryland's camp, you know, and uh, that's where I met him and our friendship started. You know, Dustin Kearns, he was the GA at Tennessee, you know, at that time. That's where I met Dustin. And uh, we talked a lot as uh, we, you know, we kind of moved in our profession. And, um, you know, a lot of those guys, you know, um, moved on to Power Five or Division One opportunities, operations guys admins and um you know my my perspective was i got this d2 job in memphis tennessee in the heart of south memphis and and across the street from the projects you know what i mean like that was my first job and um i'm pulling up i remember pulling up and i'm like man where the heck am i at i you know i never heard of lemoyne on it's a small d2 hbcu and um you know, I was at the final four, like everybody, trying to find a job. And um, I ended up going to Coach Alexander's room. And Coach Alexander's best friend was Frankie Allen, you know, a former Howard head coach, Virginia Tech head coach. And, um, you know, we were talking. And, uh, you know, I was, you know, he was, coaches asked me, had I talked to anybody? And I was like, nah, coach, I'm, I'm here with you. You know what I mean? And, uh, and Frankie Allen was basically like, hey, man, you know, 
Smokey Gaines is looking for an assistant. Will it be a great, great assistant for Smokey? And I'm like, who's Smokey? We're going to take you downstairs right now and meet Smokey. So Smokey's downstairs. He's hanging around with John Thompson, John Chaney. He's, he, he's in that company. Those guys are chopping it up in the lobby. He's got this hat on, and uh, they call him over there. They're like, Smokey, this is Will. You need to hire him. And he looks at me. He was like, I need to hire him. I don't know. I don't know him. You know, what can he do for me? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, he was one of those smart talking dudes. And so he took me over for about 10 minutes. We spoke in the lobby. And uh, and he was just, he, Smokey's probably the most arrogant person I've ever met in my life. You know, I'm a legend. You know, I made Dick Vitale. You know, I was the first, you know, I was the first, you know, African-American coach at San Diego State. I, you know, I recruited Michael Cage. I mean, he's given me the, I mean, he's hit me across my head with, uh, with Smokey Gang. And uh, so he said, hey, man, listen, I'm going to be in Memphis next week. I want you to come up and uh, meet me at the school. So I met him at the school. I said, coach, listen, I only got 25000 for you. Um, you know, uh, but you know, I'm gonna teach you. I'm gonna teach you how to be a successful, a successful coach at this Division One level, and um, and so I did. I accepted the job. I did not know what I was getting myself into. Um, I, I, I think I got I got the job. I was 22. I left. I was 32. You know what I mean? He uh, he definitely gave me the blueprint of um, right away uh, of how to be a successful division one coach, um, you know, and he gave me the stories every day. And, um, you know, he, I, I, I wouldn't be the coach I, I am today without that experience. You know, you returned to your alma mater, um, in 2016 working under Jamal Brown. Talk about that season back at your alma mater. Yeah. You know, I, uh, uh, actually, in between that, what the resume doesn't say is um, College of Charleston had a position open. And, um, you know, I knew the guys. Stacy Palmore um, had recruited me. And, um, you know, so Tommy Herringer was the coach. And I had developed a relationship with Tommy over the couple of years that I was, uh, you know, at South Carolina State. And, and um, I was from, you know, right outside of Charleston. And so actually I was about to accept the, the College of Charleston job. I was waiting till the, the fiscal year to start. I was at home and already had moved back to Charleston and um, going on vacation, man. And, um, you know, right off the bat, man, I mean, uh, I'm thinking of July 1's coming. I get a call, man, um, you know, and, and Coach Palmo basically tells me that um, – Coach Harrion, man, got let go. He got let go over the summer, um, you know, and and so uh, here I am. I'm thinking that, man, I'm on a fast track to, you know, Division One assistant, and um, and I'm going to be an assistant coach in my hometown at the College of Charleston. Unbelievable start to my career. And uh, Coach Harrion gets let go, and um, I end up working at my high school for a couple of months. And um, a position ended up coming open at South Carolina State right around Thanksgiving. And uh, I take it. I take it. And, um, you know, I get there. We probably have two or three non-conference games left. And then we go into the MEAC play. And so, um, you know, uh, Ray Martin was on the staff as an assistant. 
And um, I was just a young coach, man, really just back at my alma mater, um, really for Coach Brown, uh, another guy who knew the knew the uh, the culture of the program and just try to help him as much as I could. You know, I, I remember I was so crazy. You know, it, it wasn't no GPS back then, right? Everything you had to print off the map quest. And so, you know, I'm an ambitious recruiter. And so I'm doing some JUCO stuff. And um, Pearl River was uh, one of the better JUCOs at the time. Now, I'm in Orangeburg, South Carolina, and I'm, I'm hungry to go on my first recruiting trip as a Division One coach. And I don't care where it's at, but I, I didn't do my research to know how far Pearl River, Mississippi was from Orangeburg, South Carolina. And so, brother, I get in that car to drive from Pearl, from Orangeburg, South Carolina to Pearl River to see one player, to see one player. And not only that, drive, see the game, okay, and then get back in the car and come back the next day. And uh, that was the longest trip ever in my in my coaching career. It, it, <laughs> I didn't know what the heck I was doing, but um, I did see a good basketball game, and the kid was a lot higher than the level we were at, so we didn't get him, but it was a good experience. That's awesome. You know, there's a coaching change after one year. Yeah, I'm curious. Did you try to get retained by the new head coach, or – did everyone on staff kind of know, know they're not getting brought back? Yeah, you know, that was, again, another experience. Tim Carter gets the job, and um, I remember the first assistant's gone, the second assistant's gone. Hey, man, I got the call. He called me. He didn't let me go. You know, and, uh, and so, man, I don't get a call. I'm sitting there, and I remember I'm, at, I'm in Charleston, and um, I'm like, man, I must be good. You know, he didn't call me. I've been talking to him. You know, I've been trying to introduce him to some alums and different things like that. And uh, so I remember going going into the job that Monday. And um, I remember Tim Carter coming in. And um, he's like, Coach, you know, uh, you've been working me, man. You know, it's just not going to work, though, man. You know, I got to bring my guys in, you know, X, Y, and Z. And so he let me go. He let me go. And that was my first time really like I was really surprised because I wasn't a, I wasn't a former player. And, um, you know, I thought the people on campus definitely was pushing him to keep me. But he made a decision to, uh, to let me go. And, um, yeah, and then I, you know, I'm in that period and, um, you know, I always meet people at Peach Jam for some reason. So I'm at Peach Jam. And a uh, young coach by the name of Charlton Young is uh, climbing up the ladder. He's at Tennessee Chattanooga. And um, he had been really good friends with Darren Tillis. And, um, and so see why, you know, he called me after the Final Four. I spoke to him and he was like, Coach, got two options for you. You can either go to Campbell or you can go to Okaloosa Walton Junior College in Florida. And he said, I'm going to tell you, Coach. He said, you know, Robbie Lang recruited me. He's a coach at Campbell. It's a good job. But if you go to to Okaloosa Walton, you meet every coach in the country, you coach high-level basketball, it'll be a heck of a job for you. So I drive down to Okaloosa Walton and meet Bruce Stewart, who's a Hall of Fame unbelievable coach there 
And um, I remember him taking me out to Destin, Fort Walton Beach. I'm a guy from the from Charles from Monk's Corner, South Carolina. I never seen water that looked like tropical punch. You know what I mean? Like the water's clear. It's nice. And uh, I remember him taking me over that bridge there in uh, Fort Walton Beach. And I said, Coach, listen, man, I'm coming. I don't I don't need no more convincing. I'm coming. And um, and I, you know, just the history of that program, uh, who had been there, the type of players, the tradition, that league. Um, and I met everybody in the country. I mean, from, you know, Bill Self, you know, to, you know, uh, you know, Duke never came in there. Can't Duke, they don't recruit uh JUCO guys, but North Carolina, you know, everybody, all the all the top top dogs came through to recruit our players. And um it was an unbelievable experience for me, man. Um the, the three recruiting seasons there, um, you know, we put thirty plus guys and and mid plus the high major D one. And um it was an unbelievable experience. You talk about coaching under the late Bruce Stewart, um, now known as Northwest Florida State College. You guys go 48 and 11 uh, while you were there. What was the overall JUCO experience like? I know you briefly touched on it. And, and what was it like recruiting and aiding the recruitment of your current players to four-year schools? Yeah, man, it was uh, it was great. It was great. Um Working at Northwest Florida State is like working. It's like working at Duke in Carolina at JUCO because Chipolo is, is 45 minutes down the road. The other top dog, and you know uh, we're recruiting every every top player in the country in terms of junior college. You got a chance to get them, and you know I always took pride because you know I was the only assistant. At North, at Okaloosa Walton, Cipolla had four or five dudes. You know what I mean? They had Jake Hendrick, they had Dana Ford. You know, Greg High was over there. I mean, they, they had you know Marty. That's at Drake. They had, they had a lot of guys. And I used to be like, man, I don't care that they got four or five guys. I'm a, I'm a rip them apart. Like I'm going out. We're gonna make sure we still get some things taken care of. And, um, you know, because at the end of the day, it was going to be us in the state tournament every year. And so uh, the recruiting piece was uh, – it was great, man. I, I saw so many great players. You're talking about, uh, you know, you know, Eric Bledsoe. You know, Eric Bledsoe was was coming to Northwest Florida State. You know, we, we did the recruiting visit with him. You know, I saw him play, man, 10, 15 times. Spoke to him numerous times. And um, Coach Calipari just got the job at Kentucky, and he happened to just qualify right out of the, right out of nowhere. And so he ended up playing for the for the Kentucky Wildcats, which is my you know one of my favorite college teams. And um, you know Demarcus Cousins to see him you know play in high school, see, uh, you know, probably five or six of his games. You know, uh, you know, I, I said, you know, probably the most talented high school player I've ever seen. You know, Demarcus Cousins, what he did at his size and ability um, in, in, in high school basketball, and um, you know, uh, so it, it was unbelievable. And just being able to win and be dominant on a consistent basis, and then to be in the apartments with the guys, um, 
you know, uh, 424 was my apartment number. And there's been some other guys that have come behind me at Northwest Florida State that the first time I see him, I said, man, what, what apartment do you stay in? Oh, I stay in 424. I said, yeah, man, that's the spot. You know, you know, when you're an assistant, you know, at Northwest, that 424 is a special number. You know, Isaac Brown, who's the head coach at Wichita State, Morris Scott, who's an assistant coach in the Sun Belt now, Mike Curry, who's a high school coach in Alabama. We were the, the four assistant coaches at the time for Bruce. And um, all of us, you know, had an opportunity to uh, coach at the Division One level. Uh, actually, uh, Isaac and Morris had an opportunity to be head coaches, and Isaac is still a head coach at Wichita. And, um, and so um, we had a, a really good run of assistance there with, with Coach Stewart. Um, but uh, living in those apartments with those guys, seeing how some of the top recruiters that recruited JUCO players came in, how they did it, what was the sell, how did they get them firsthand, um, really allowed me to be really good at recruiting JUCO guys. I know what they're looking at. I know what how they feel in those dorms. I know the conversations I had with my guys when they come and say, Coach, man, you know, Auburn's calling me, Arkansas is calling me, Georgia's calling me, you know, um, you know, what you think, Coach, you know what I mean? Um, you know, and, and, and our thing was, you know, uh, whoever came down, uh, who, who came down the most, um, who showed us really that those guys were, um, you know, needed because um, our guys were, were talented. We carried about eight guys that played and um, I always told guys, go somewhere where you can play the same game that you play here because the level was so high, you know, probably our worst player could play in the uh, Conference USA at that time. And so I always told guys, hey, man, listen, you can go to Auburn. You know, Auburn was in our gym a lot. You can go to Auburn, you can go to Arkansas, um, but you just got to make sure that you're going to be able to play the game that you played here. And so, um, but yeah, we had guys go to Alabama, Auburn, Missouri, Tennessee, um, you know, I mean, just all over, man. And, um, it was a good time. Chuck South hires you, uh, you're an assistant there in 2009. What was it about that job that made you leave Florida and return to the Palmetto State. And did you have any other opportunities at the D1 level? Yeah, so another the resume, it's another story in between that. It's uh, So uh, I accepted the Motlow State Junior College job as a head coach after my second season. And, um, you know, coach, we were riding in that, in that crown, Victoria, and, uh, you know, having conversations, doing some recruiting. We had just finished – yeah, that, that signing that class and he, you know and I said coach what about my low state what you think you know um he said coach you want it I said yeah coach I, I want it and um he said all right he said, oh, you know he made a call next week I drove down to my low interview with the AD and the president and she offered me the job and I accepted it okay and um so I get back to Niceville and um at Northwest, uh, Mickey Englet is a Hall of Fame, one of the better ADs in Florida JUCO. Uh, his name's on the floor down at, at down there at uh, Northwest right now. So he calls me in his office and he says, "Will, I don't want you to take the Motlow State job. I want you to stay here at Northwest. You got a better job here. This is where you should be." 
and I really trusted him. I mean, I, you know, I had, I looked up to him, he, you know, he knew the game. And so uh, I took about three days to figure that thing out and I, and I declined the job and it put me into a probably about a week and a half depression. I'm like, man, I just took a job. Then I turned the job down, man. What the heck? What, what am I doing? And so, uh, so I stay at Northwest and um, probably about three more months and my mom, uh, she gets sick back in Charleston and um, just so happened Charleston Southern had an opening and um, I, you know, talked to my network and was able to get in contact with coach Raider ball. And um, it was a no brainer at that time. He hired me at, at Charleston and um, I could have stayed and, and, and had, much higher level job offers um, to because of where I was, but I thought it was important to go home and be close to my mom. And, um, and so I take that job at Charleston Southern and um, you know, I get there and Bob Ritchie's there as a young assistant. And at the time, J.D. Powell was the other assistant. And so uh, we start that, we start that, you know, uh, that process of trying to get Charleston Southern out of the cellar of the big South at that point in time. And, um, you know, uh, the next year, Mike Morrell comes in, he replaces J.D. J.D. goes to the Citadel and, um, you know, three three young, ambitious assistants at the at Charleston Southern, um, you know, put two really good recruiting classes together uh, that produced two Big South championships for Charleston Southern, man, and um, kind of put put us all three of us on a tra trajectory in our careers. You know, the Buck Dome is one of the smallest D1 venues as far as seating capacity. With the talent you guys were able to bring in, did you guys have any sellouts down there? Sellouts, man. You sell if I was in the gym and my, my, my mom was in the gym and my cousin was in the gym, it's a, definitely a sellout. <laughs> you guys had a great one-two punch with Warren and Martin. What was the landscape of the Big South during your first tour of duty? Yeah, man, really good guards, small guards, really athletic, uh, three, four man like Kelvin Martin. Um, and um, we kind of followed that blueprint and um, were able to uh, get Saad Emily in there and Alon Harper and that that freshman recruiting class, uh, Jonathan Brooks, Kenny Martin, um, and those guys. Uh, uh, and able to push our program to contend, you know, at the top. Um, just all three of us, myself was the first, got a call from Cliff Warren in Jacksonville um, to take their assistant job there. And shortly after that, Bob left and went to Furman and Mike went to, went, went left and went to VCU um, with Shaka. And, um, you know, coach was able, to, was able to hire some guys and, uh, those next couple of years, man, those, you know, they, Charleston Southern was really good and really put put them in a situation where they were a factor year in and year out in the Big South. Hey, you mentioned you returned to Florida this time at Jacksonville University under Cliff Warren. How was that experience and who were some of the heavy hitters in the A-Sun back then? Oh, man. You know, Coach was one of the top up-and-coming coaches in the country. And, um, you know, we had another, you know, some really good talent there, Ben Smith, and, um, you know, uh, who, who's another small guard uh, that that's a Hall of Famer now at Jacksonville. And um, we, uh, you know, brought some guys in. Um, great time to be in, in the Atlantic Sun. Uh, Belmont, 
was really good. Uh, Mercer uh, was really good. Um, and then right at the tail end, the Dunk City crew uh, comes out of, out of nowhere. And um, I tell people all the time, they weren't dunked like that during the conference play. I don't know what got into them uh, in the tournament, but um, they, 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 they earned that name with how they, everybody started just catching lobs. But um, unbelievable East Tennessee State, uh, really good, you know. Um, and so it was a battle night in and night out in that league and um, really gave me another, you know, being in the Big South with Winthrop, Coastal Carolina at that time, um, and then going over to uh, the A-Sun and being able to see Belmont up close and how they were doing things. And uh, Mercer, Coach Hoffman had those guys rolling. And then we had our shots with, you know, with, with our guys. We won two championships there with Cliff Warren. And um, and so uh, it was an opportunity to see a championship-level program uh, from a different lens. And, uh, you know, it was really good for my, for, for my development. Talk about your development. What are some things that you personally improved on during your, your years in Jacksonville? Yeah, I mean, Coach gave me an opportunity to really coach and um, to get on the floor, to uh, to be really good on the floor. Um, you know, obviously recruiting was something that I was good at, but um, the opportunity to develop a voice, um, a voice that the players could trust game in and game out, which really, uh, you know, I started to really get into strategy, um, you know, offensively and defensively. And, um, you know, uh, and, and to see – you know, come up with a game plan and to see that game plan work against really good teams, um, you know, th that gave me satisfaction. You know, I remember, you know, Mercer was on like a 16, 17 game, you know, win streak, you know, uh, and uh, we were able to break that on one of my scouts. Uh, I remember vividly being down in Nashville playing Belmont and um, getting, getting coach, uh, to, uh, to, to get a tech, you know what I mean? Like, you know, uh, he, he was, you know, coach was so calm at Belmont, um, you know, he never, he never got rattled. And I remember, you know, that game plan ended up getting him a tech down there. Um, it was a really close game. And, um, you know, just, just developing that voice, man, at Jacksonville really, really, really was big for me in my development. Definitely. And coach Warren's not retained and it, you end up being the head coach at West Nassau High School. What was that experience like? And what was that experience like teaching as well? Yeah, man. Yeah, first time, you know, uh, outside of the first, you know, first year uh, coaching that I didn't have a, you know, a college job. And so, um, you know, I, I didn't know what I was doing. We got let go late and um, I wasn't able to get it, you know, get on. Um, with the staff, almost kind of like this deal I'm in now. It's just, you know, you, you got to take a year off and kind of figure out who you are and um, come to an identity, you know, you know just who, who are you as a, as a person uh, when, you're, when you're out a year. And um, I get a call from West Nassau the day before school starts. You know, it just comes out of nowhere. Um, and uh, it's in a rural town. They, 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 they don't have a basketball tradition and, uh, I'm a teacher, a gym teacher. And, uh, um, 
you know, man, the first couple of weeks, man, I was like, man, what am I doing here? But when you're working with kids, man, kids just bring the best out of you. They were intrigued that they had this college coach as their gym teacher. I used to get out there and play with them in PE. Um, and so you start to, you know, you become a part of the culture. I was a football coach, I coached the JV football team. Like I was there, man. I was, I dove into it. I had fun with it. Um, you know, I, I got my butt beat. We won two games, two and 26 or something, two and 28 was my record. And, uh, but man, I tell you what, it, it it taught me how to deal with referees because I felt like I was getting hosed every night. And, uh, but, you know, I was trying to give those guys the best opportunity to win. We just didn't have talent. Um, but, I, you know, that was my first team. And I love those guys. Um, they went out and did everything I asked them to do. And um, I'll always remember my time there at West Nassau. So I guess that's where the Big South referees came from is down there. <laughs> <laughs> they, they definitely came from down there. Ain't no doubt about it. You know, the next year you returned to the college ranks as an assistant at Florida A&M, uh, that 2015-2016 season under uh, Brian Samuels. Had the MEAC changed yep. much since you're, you're coaching at your alma mater those days? You know what, man? We, you know, I stepped in the MEAC and it was still the same. I, I, you know, I, you know, I, you know, taking those trips and the style of play was the same. You know, same gyms, a lot of the same places. And um, Coach Samuels um, was trying to get that thing going. And um, I was there for one season. I thought FAMU was an unbelievable job. I thought, I thought that you know, uh, it had it had an opportunity to be really good. Um, and uh, we were able to sign a couple really good prospects before I left, and uh, actually helped coach get that team. Um, that one year got I think coach got to the semis or to the finals. I can't remember what it was, but yeah, they were really good. And um, for the last two years, he was there. Um, but it was tough. They were coming off of APR penalties. I had a chance to work with Coach to um, get us off for a year. And, um, and so working with that um, and just being back in the league, kind of getting back used to that MEAC grind. And um, I enjoyed my time in Tallahassee. I got a chance. You know, one of the reasons why I took the job, Coach Hamilton told me to take the job and, and basically just – live at Florida state, you know, after work, you know, you know, um, and just come over there and, and that's what I did. So, you know, I was at Florida A&M working hard. And when I had a chance, I was always over in uh, coach Hamilton's. And I, I would just sit in coach Hamilton's office. I, I, he would be on the phone. He would be working. I'd just be sitting in the office, just watching and, 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 and learning from him and what, you know, things he did and uh, his staff, um, Dennis Gates, uh, Charlton Young was there, you know, Stan Jones, um, some of his admin, admin, um, people, um, I just, I just, you know, ACC program that I had access to practice in, you know, games, whatever I was, uh, I was around and it was really, that was another big piece of my development. I can certainly imagine that you moved to North Carolina in July of 2016, re reconnecting with coach Joyner. Um, he hires you at North Carolina A&T. What was that first game like at Club Corbett as an Aggie? You know, year one, it wasn't, you know, it really wasn't Club Corbett yet. It was, um, they hadn't put the scoreboard in. It was a dull, a dull kind of, 
uh, lighting in there, and um, we weren't very good. And so we didn't have a ton of people coming to the games, um, you know, and uh, we were just trying to get that thing figured out. Um, we didn't turn it to Club Corbett until uh, that summer. They put the they put the jumbotron scoreboard in, and um, we had some really good guys sitting out. We won three games our first year, and um, one of the games that we won was the last game of the conference schedule versus the number one team, uh, North Carolina Central. Um, you know, we ended up beating them. It was a tight game the entire way through. And um, we beat them, and that started a run, man, I think of 40-plus uh, conference game wins in a row. And um, so that kind of started us winning at that point because that next year our, our talent was increased, and we ended up winning 20 games, which was one of the uh, largest turnarounds in D1 history. And, um, you know, kind of just started putting that program in a, in a better light. You talk about you know that turnaround, uh, you know, improved by 17 games from 16-17 to 17-18. You guys go 20 and 15 overall. You mentioned you had obviously uh, some incoming talent, but how much of that was returners from the previous season with continuity, as well as that, um, you know, influx of talent in the recruiting class? A lot of it was um, the new guys. We signed a point guard, Cam Langley, who came in as a freshman that year. Uh, we added a couple more guys that had played, Devontae Boykins, um, that had played in the Southern Conference in the Sun Belt. Um, you know, and so we had some good pieces to that group. But uh, Femi Alugibi was a 6'8", 6'9", center that um, was the best player in the league. And um, – Nobody could stop him. He was a 20 and 10 guy every night. I don't care if we played high major or low major. The um, Boris McGowan's was a Juco kid that I got out of the panhandle. Uh, MEAC teams weren't getting panhandle recruits um, that, you know, they weren't able to recruit at that level of Juco, but my relationships, we were able to uh, sneak him out of there. And so we, we put together a really good class and they delivered. Um, they delivered on that on their promise, um, and we had a chance that year. That league was pretty good. Uh, we had a chance to uh, to compete for a regular season championship. Um, we fell just a little bit short, um, but uh, kind of started us on a good a good trajectory. Yeah, let's talk about you know falling short in the MEAC championship. You guys then play in a postseason tournament against Liberty. How tough is it to go from the emotions of losing in a championship game to shifting focus and playing in a postseason tournament? Yeah, man. I mean, uh, at that point, man, I remember, man, our guys were devastated. We really didn't. I mean, we went down to Liberty with that team, and we didn't even have everybody because some of the guys were beat up and um, we didn't play. So we didn't have our whole team. And we weren't big-time motivated. And Liberty was good. And – um and I don't. I mean, I felt like if we if we were if, if we were really ready to play and wanted to play, that uh, we could have won that game. You know what I mean? Um, it was. It still was a close game. It was a really good game, um, but you know, uh, it just shows the maturity and where we were and where we grew to in terms of uh, that team that year. You know, A&T having that first 20-win season in five years and just a third in the past 30 years, Coach Joyner's named Coach of the Year. 
how much pride do you guys take in elevating the standard and the brand at North Carolina A&T? Oh, for sure. I mean, you know, you know, Coach Joyner's tenure plus my tenure, you can go back and look at it. Um, we did our job. We did our job in terms of putting North Carolina A&T. We left the program better than where we found it, and that's what you want to do as as coaches, and um, you know, able to uh, make it an attractive place for kids to come. And I thought that that's what we did. You're promoted to associate head coach before the 2018 season. Besides any increase in pay, what did that title mean to you and represent for you as a college basketball coach? You know, it was great. It was. You know, to get the title, and you know, I, I felt like you know, you know, uh, I put the time in, you know, um, and to see results with you know how we were able to elevate the team and the and the, and the program and the profile. Um, but uh, you know, the title was good, but it made me work even harder. You know, um, as coaches, we got to understand. Yeah, you know, sometimes you get titles and then you stop working. Out. You know, I got the title. I felt like I I turned it up a whole nother level. I have, and I wanted to make sure you know, my responsibilities were taken care of, and anything out inside the program was taken care of. Um, you know, when a head coach named to an associate head coach, you want to make sure that uh, you got their back 100%. Make sure that um, the program is running at a at a high level, and I, I felt like I did a good job doing that. Coach Joyner suspended indefinitely that December 2019. You're announced as the acting head coach. What was that week like for you personally? What goes through your mind when you find out that he's not going to be with the program, as well as you then being named the interim head coach? Tough, man. Tough. It's, it's really tough, and and um, you know, it's 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 uh, as a, a staff that's close, and um, you're dealing with something. That, you know, you can't communicate. You know, with the former head coach, and you know, it's. You know, you don't know what's going on behind closed doors. Um, it's 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 one of those situations where you just don't know. And then, you know, my biggest thing at that time was to make sure the guys were good. Make sure the guys were good. Make sure, you know, we kept with the mission that we had that year and, um, you know, to keep this thing going. And um, that was that was that was the job. And so, um, you know, we uh, we were able to do that. We were able to keep keep it going and, um, you know, uh, take it up a whole nother level in terms of um, our play. And, um, you know, it, it was one of those deals where, uh, you know, you don't, you, you want to be a head coach. Um, that's your dream. Um, you don't know how that's coming. It could be just a flat out, you know, get hired. Or it could be an interim. You know, you just never know. Uh, we, we think it's all going to come on a silver platter, but sometimes you got to get what, you know, what they give you. And, um, and um, we didn't know, I didn't, we didn't know even after the season, um, you know, whether coach Joyner was returning or not. And that was the tough part. And, um, you know, it's one, it's an experience that, you know, I kind of live with for the rest of my life. You named the coach of the year as an interim head coach. Something that doesn't happen very often if, if ever. How important were the relationships with the other coaches as well as the players that allowed the program to rally and go 14 and five with you as the interim? 
Yeah, it's one of those situations where, man, um, you can't turn it on at game time. Um, the only way you can have respect and be able to to do something like that is if you're working every day, the players see it, the other coaches see it, you gain that respect and your voice. We talked about, you know, earlier with Jacksonville, having a voice, and Coach Joyner gave me an opportunity to have a voice. Um, you know, he really he gave me the opportunity really to champion the defensive side of the ball. And, um, and so the guys are used to hearing my voice. Um, you know, you know, I was involved in many of the guys recruiting. You know, um, we kind of team. Um, you know, we weren't, you know, my guys and all that type of stuff. It was more so a staff recruiting deal. And um, and so uh, the relationships were there, the trust was there, and um, we were able to, uh, you know, uh, defensively play the same. Coach John is an offensive guy. I could not remember half of the plays that he uh, he installed. So I switched it up and made it a little bit more simpler in terms of how we played offensively and play it more faster transition basketball. And um, we started scoring a ton of points and beating people. Um, and um, it turned into uh, a memorable season for A&T. You know, that year the MEAC tournaments canceled because of the you know, COVID-19 pandemic. Before the you know cancellation, you guys did have a first round win over Howard. You know, I've talked to a number of coaches who've, you know, their conference tournaments canceled. What goes through your head? But how frustrating was it to actually have that first game, have momentum going, and then not be able to finish? Man, it was unbelievable. Um, you know, I thought that we were playing some really good basketball. Um, the last game that we lost was the North Carolina Central and a barn burner in Durham. Uh, we had split in the in the conference uh, regular season, and um, we're both looking at probably meeting each other in the championship game. And Coach Moulton, who has uh, been this 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 decade's uh, HBCU coach, uh, you know, um, you know, hands down. Um, as a young coach looking up, you know, at him doing what he did, I was like, Hey man, look, you know, it's an opportunity for me to etch my name in, into that, into that mantle. And um, through my experiences as a player in the MEAC and knowing how to win a championship during my time. And he, he actually had a dynasty going with, within his own. And so um, beating Howard in that first round and looking forward to that next round and getting a call while we were at practice that the uh, tournament was canceled that first year because of COVID, um, you know, it was understandable that year because something was going on in the world that nobody knew what was going on. And so, um, you know, we ended up leaving, you know, leaving, uh, leaving uh, Virginia and going back home and, and still feeling pretty good about what we accomplished and uh, really a lot of momentum going into the next season. North Carolina A&T names you the 11th head coach in, in the modern NCAA era, you know, 52 to present, uh, on June 19th, 2020. Who was your first call when you got the news? Man, I mean, first of all, um, you know, my family was there with me. And um, so, you know, they were they were there at the press conference. And, um, you know, my mom and my dad, my, my family, my wife, you know, um, my wife was obviously at, at you know at home when I got that first call you know that um, that I was named the coach and um, 
you know, uh, just as just as fast. You know, it's on so social media. It's in the it's in the media, and um, you know, I'm sitting there like, man, you know, they had, they had already you know said that Coach Joyner wasn't coming back, and so um, I know the work that I had put in, and I was sitting there like, there's no way I couldn't get the job. It was just kind of waiting around to see if I, you know, if it was would happen. And when it finally happened, it's like, hey, what, you know, I didn't get that. You know, I was already on the job, and so it wasn't like you know you get you get that call and your first time sitting in the seat. You know, it's the first day. It it was actually for me. You know, it was going into my second year um, when I got the call, and so um, it was just that lifestyle change and being a head coach and and um, and really being able to um, to set the program in a direction that I wanted it to go in and, and kind of go from there. So it was, a, it was an exciting time. Not even just in, in the interim season, but how often do you, like, I know for myself, you know, my inner circle of coaches and, you know, I ask for advice all the time as a head coach though, is Coach Joyner one of the guys that you're able to talk to during that time, or is it one of those you don't want to burden him with it? Because I, I know that obviously you have a great relationship with him and you learned a lot from him. Um, are you able to talk about that at all? That was a tough one. And, um, you know, it. you can't, you know, it's, it's, it's you know, Coach is going through a deal. I'm going through a deal. It's, um, you know, friends. It, it's one of those situations that, um, you know, we did not, me and Coach Jordan did not speak a ton during that during that interim time. And a lot of it was due to the process of what the school was going through with the, uh, with the suspension. And um, you just don't know. They don't give you a whole lot of information. And um, like I said, one of the things I always say, you don't know how you're going to get a job. You know, you think it's going to be a certain way, um, but um, sometimes it's just, you know, it's, it's, it's not the way that you think and uh, kind of got to make the best of, out of a situation, kind of see how it goes. And, um, and that's kind of how that situation was. So, so it was pretty tough. Gotcha. You go 25 and 15 in your first two full seasons, uh, winning the, the MEAC regular season title in 2021. Um, in the final season of being in the MEAC, how tough was it not to be able to play in the NIT because of not having the auto bids that season? Well, you know, um, NIT, man, I, I was, I mean, you know, we went to the tournament, the number one seed, um, really overall. And, um, you know, we didn't get a chance to play a game, you know, and so, uh, we get down there and, you know, the first year, understandable, COVID shuts everybody down. But the second year, with us being the only team, the only team, the only person in the entire tournament that had anybody uh, test positive for COVID was hard to swallow, it was hard to swallow. And, um, man. Just having the NCAA, I thought I thought we were playing as good as basketball as anybody in our in our league. Um, when you when when you know that year we were we, we were able to beat North Carolina Central twice, um, and they were the big dogs. 
they were the big dogs. So if you can beat the big dogs, um, you know, you can go to the tournament and get it done versus that, that the North division that year, that, that was Norfolk, Morgan State, Coppin State, um, Howard in, in that upper division. Um, and again, you know, we only lost five games, you know, that first five games my entire time in the MEAC. So we had beaten Lavelle, Moton, and the Central more than our shared times. Um, we only got a chance to play Norfolk once. You know, we beat them. Um, we beat Howard, I think, three times. Um, and then Juan Dixon was the Juan Dixon is the is the one coach that um, that during that year he was he was able. We were on a pretty good roll, and we pulled up in Baltimore, and they they ended up getting us, man. And um, uh, a tough tough game in Baltimore. Um, and so Juan is Juan is I think one coach and I've never beat in the MEAC. Owen one versus Juan Dixon and Coppin State, um, but he you know he always gets big time talent down there. But th- that was a tough one to swallow. That one was tough. Um, I didn't want to leave Norfolk. Um, those guys deserved it. They paid you know they they took they 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 felt the hurt the first year. Um, they came back. And, and, and put a, a great conference season together through COVID the second year. And then to be able to not to, to you know, you don't get a chance to be a champion all the time. And, um, and, and, and people think the, the NCAA tournament is, is like winning the lottery, but when you can win a regular season championship, that's, 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 that's what the work has been put in. And for them, for those guys to uh, put the work in and, and win a regular season, nobody can take away that achievement. Nobody. And uh, we were able to hang a banner the first time in 30 years in North Carolina A&T. And um, that goes down in history, um, 28 years, man, before, uh, you know, they were able to hang another banner in that in that gym. School joined the Big South. You guys finished 12 and 20 in that 21-22 season. 11 of those losses by 10 or less points. And I know, you know, we talked uh, during that season – you, know, you guys had injuries, um, you know, COVID pauses. How frustrating was that season because of the talent that you and your staff had assembled? To be honest with you, man, it, it wasn't frustrating. Um, it it was a you know you got to know which a part of the process. It's a process. Uh, talent is just one piece of uh, of the equation, and um, you know getting to play in a new league, understanding the ins and outs of those leagues for our guys. Um, that season was the first year together with that group. Uh, we had tons of guys coming back for this year's team. Um, and to be right there, to be right there, um, you know, uh, that season, I mean, I mean, two buzzer beaters to Campbell, two, two buzzer beaters to Campbell that you lose. Um, Longwood, we had three big time battles. One that you know we were able to win one, um, and then the one in the in the in the Big South tournament, um, you know. And so and um, so we had some games that we we should have probably finished right in at in probably fourth or fifth. Um, but I thought that going into the tournament, we were playing some good ball. I had the guys ready to go, and again, I mean we. Um, you know, a turnover late uh, on a rebound that we got, and then two free throws at the end of the game. 
um, we were right there for being in the final four and, and, and being the number one seed. So I thought that the momentum we had, I thought our guys going back, looking through it, looking back, hey, man, our first year in a new league, we got a chance to come back next year and do it. You know, like we got a chance to get it done. And, um, you know, obviously we found out that we were moving to the CAA. And so, um, again, now talking to the guys again about what we learned that year in the Big South, having to adjust and being ready to be mentally ready to go into the CAA is what we really focused the spring on. You talk about joining the Colonial, leaving the Big South. How excited were you guys for the move? And did the conference change cause your recruiting to change at all? I know, obviously, as far as scheduling, you have less non-conference games. But talk about how that impacted the way you guys recruited. I thought that recruiting-wise, my philosophy was to try to recruit a level up anyway. Um, But I felt like – you know, a couple of kids that we got and not only the conference move, but a little bit about how the business started changing. Um, and so um, the business with the portal um, in the, you know, the second year, I think second year, third year, of the portal and the, everybody kind of having a game plan on what they were doing. And, um, you know, a lot of the high major schools were focused on the four year transfer. And getting guys from the you know leagues like the MEAC and the Big South, and trying to get those guys in, in, in uniforms for, for the high majors. And so what I did and our staff, what we did was focus on high level JUCOs. And um, you know we were able to sign uh, um, a kid uh, out of uh, the Panhandle in Northwest Florida State um, that won a national championship. We was able to sign another guard out of Coffeeville that won a national championship. Um, and then we got some, a couple of really good transfers, uh, Pac-12 guy, Will Felton, and then, um, you know, a West Coast kid that's just from Atlanta, Austin um, Johnson that transferred from Irvine. And so uh, we felt like uh, we addressed the needs from a recruiting standpoint that we needed to get, get done. The league is attractive. A&T is attractive um, as what we can offer. Um, I used to say, man, now we got it all. We got academics, we got social, we got athletics. We got a great, we got a great uh, place to play, great energy, not a better place to be. And um, we were able to get some guys that we wanted. I thought that with that class, we would be able to be competitive right away um, in the CAA. And uh, man, probably the most prepared um, as I'd ever been as a coach this summer, uh, we had an unbelievable first semester of summer school, just really focused in on what we needed to do in the CAA. And um, man, wanted to have an opportunity for that first year. Ultimately in August, the school announced they were you know, gonna part ways. I won't ask why they made the move, um, but what emotions did you feel and how quickly did you realize who your real friends in the profession were? Oh, man. My last 90 days as a head coach here, you, I, I probably could write a book. And, um, you know, just looking back at it, um, started off really good June. Like I said, June was unbelievable. Had a really good first semester of summer school. You can probably go on my social media and see. Um, we had a, a, a kind of a cookout 
with the guys. Um, we had a, you know, chicken and ribs and, you know, salad. And, you know, we just hanging out, eating right after that first semester. And um, I never, I, you know, I was back one day after that day. I had COVID. I got COVID for three weeks. And, um, and so I was right here in this basement that I'm sitting and doing this interview the majority of the time um, trying to get well. And, um, you know, it just happened to be, man, a situation that, um, you know, I never was able to get back to my guys. And, um, you know, I tell anybody, you can read my Twitter, you know, um, North Carolina A&T gave me an opportunity to be a head coach. Um, I learned a ton. Um, the first coach in 28 years to leave that university with a winning record unbelievable relationships and um i can go home to my mother i can go home to my father i can come home to my wife and my kids and feel good about what we did at a and t and um i can walk out in the community i can sit here on this podcast i can say and, and do anything to coaches to help grow and feel good about what we did at a and t and and at the end of the day that's what it's about and uh, uh, coaches are hired to get fired. Do I think I should have been let go to, uh, as soon as I was? No. But at the end of the day, um, I'm back up, ready to go, motivated, and um, able to – can't wait to the spring to see what that next step's going to be to help somebody else's program or my own program be successful. And I, and I know I'm going to be a head coach again one day. I think um, my track record speaks for itself. And I'm gonna just continue to grow through that process. Um, and 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 I told a group earlier this week: you deal with pain, you deal with pain, you deal with uh, you know situations that you know you work so hard to get to a place, um, but you always got to realize that you know uh, you're never gonna be in one place for, for the rest of your life. It just doesn't happen like that. And so uh, you got to take the good and the bad with coaching. And um, I'm learning early that um, you got to be able to bounce back pretty quick. Coach, were there any opportunities for you to coach this season that you passed on? And if not, what do you plan to do this year as far as professional development and staying busy? For sure. Um, no, I mean, you know, August the 17th, um, as a day I'll probably remember for the rest of my life, uh, definitely a, a transition day. Um you know, it's a day that my life is going to transition and going to see where that transition takes me. And so mentally, um, no, I didn't have any other. It was really late and I wasn't really interested in, in searching for anything in September. I took September uh, off completely and um, really try to reset and write some things down and form a game plan for myself and my family going forward. And then the game plan was to really get back out there in October. And when I say really get back out there, um, uh, as coaches, um, we put a logo on for the majority of our careers. We put a logo on, but behind that logo is, is a professional. Um, you know, I always tell our pro players, you're not professionals when, when you get to the NBA. You guys are professionals now. You guys are professionals in college. And, you know, a professional, someone gets up every day, 
and does uh, has a routine to be bet the best at what they're trying to do every day. That's a professional. You don't have to have the NBA logo on your jersey to say you're professional, um, you know. And so as coaches, we're professionals. And so whether I have the A&T logo on me or the Jacksonville logo on me, um, I'm a professional. And um, I was a CEO of a very successful program um, that was trending in the right direction. You know, um, coach of the year, um, top 40 up and coming young coaches in the country. I had a lot of things that were going positive for me. And so I can't sit around and, and, and be uh, upset. I have to keep moving. And so what I'm doing this October, I'm doing podcasts. Um, I'm, I'm trying to help young coaches. I'm, I'm giving input. I'm talking to people. Um, I'm in the process of putting together a podcast myself. Um, that's going to talk about these things because it's going to talk about identity. You know, there's a lot of head coaches out right now and um, a lot of good head coaches that are out right now for different reasons and um, that are looking to get back into college coaching. But one thing that we all deal with is um, identity. Who are we when we're not calling the plays and writing the X's and O's? Um, and um, that's a big part of development and growth. And so I'm going to tell you right now, when I, when I suit up, wherever I suit up at um, in 2023, they're going to be getting a bad man. They're going to be getting a bad man because um, I'm going to be much better coach than I was uh, uh, the last couple of years at a and I'm going to be a much better man, a much better coach, much better father, a husband, and uh, we're going to keep this thing rolling. I love it. Coach, we've come to the segment I call Start, Bench, Cut. I give you three things. You start one, bench one, and cut one. Okay. Uh, first one, Nike, Adidas, Under Armour. Oh, it's Nike. I'm, I'm, I'm keeping that cat. Yeah. Right, who's, who's coming off the bench? Start Nike. Coming off the bench is Under Armour. Coming off the bench with Under Armour and and Adidas, I guess they're going to have to get cut. (laughs) Uh, LeBron, Melo, D-Wade, prime, in their prime. Start LeBron, D-Wade coming off the bench, Melo got to get cut. That's tough, but hey, that's the side of life goes. <laughs> hey, defense wins championships, right? <laughs> defense for sure. For sure. All right. Cookout, Bojangles, Chick-fil-A. Chick-fil-A star. I don't know what they put in that chicken at Chick-fil-A, but they put something in that chicken that keep you coming back. The lines are long. You know what I mean? And uh you said who is Bojangles and who? And cookout. Cookout. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so Cookout had a good run early, but Bojangles in North Carolina is undefeated, so they definitely coming off the bench. So Cookout had a good run. I think they might have started a lot of their business in North Carolina, but they they definitely getting cut. Ah, uh, fair enough. Movies, hustle. He got game above the rim. Wee. He got game. He got game. Is definitely gonna start. Uh, <laughs> ooh, that's tough. Might be a tie, man. Both of those cats pretty good coming off that bench, man. You got you got a good team. You got a good team. I would have to say, uh, 
I would have to say uh, above the rim, above the rim for me, uh, come off the bench. Hey, you can't go wrong with any of them. Last one, Coach. <laughs> Hoop Dirt, Verbal Commits, Transfer Portal. Hoop Dirt came on strong. But I'm going to tell you what, Verbal Commits, man. I'm going to start Verbal Commits. I'm going to go to Hoop Dirt uh, coming off the bench, man. Uh, uh, I'm going to tell you right now, Verbal Commits came out. You, you, they, I don't know where they're getting that information from, but they're they, 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 they getting it done right they are. Uh, Coach, who are three guests I should have on the podcast? Three guests? Um, uh, you need to try to get in contact with um, Lavelle Jordan from Butler. He's a good one. Um, Dennis Gates at Missouri. And I would probably say if you never had Mike Boynton, um, those are three guys that are really good friends of mine. And um, we'll, we'll do a heck of a job. Be good for you in, in this podcast for sure. What advice do you have for coaches, not just trying to move up the ranks in the profession, but as a, a potential first-time head coach? Yeah, man. Uh, I talked about it earlier this week. We, we got to have um, – and I wish I had this information earlier. And I talked about goals versus growing. And that, that's really been about this week what I've talked about. You know, we set um, we set a destination. And I think not just in basketball and in, in a lot of careers, we set that destination. And sometimes, you know, you put that destination in that GPS and that, the GPS says it, it, we're going to get there at 9 o'clock. But sometimes you get there at 8.30. You know what I'm saying? So you get to your destination before you're supposed to. Right. And so I think now looking back at it to continue to not worry so much about the destination, more so just the direction. I want to I want to be growing in the direction to be a leader. I want to be growing in a direction to be a head coach. I want to be growing in the direction to own a company. I want to be growing in a direction to be an entrepreneur. All right. Because you may hit that goal. Your goal may be to own that business. But once you hit the goal, what's next? Are you stopped growing at that point? And I think now I'm, I'm in that mode. And that's my advice to, to coaches in this situation, the young assistants. Point the direction, not the destination. Don't go. You may say, man, I want to be a six-figure guy. But are you limiting yourself? You may be limiting yourself. You may be a seven-figure guy. You may be an eight-figure guy. Don't just set your goal of being a six-figure guy. Set the direction of being successful and being able to capitalize on what your worth is. And so that's really what my what, what my mission is right now. My advice to coaches in my situation, young coaches trying to grow in this profession, just grow. Just be in a situation where you're in a growth, growth atmosphere where you can continue to grow, whether you reach a point in your career, uh, early, late, whatever. And I think that'll help you going down the road Coach, if listeners want to get in touch with you, email, social media, what have you, what's the best way? Yeah, man. So um, Twitter, you know, the Coach J, um, uh, the Coach J, Coach with a K um, on Twitter. Um, the same thing on Instagram, uh, the same thing on um, on Facebook. Please reach out to me. 
Um, I'm really in that space right now, um, trying to do my best to, to stay relevant and stay stay visible and look forward to c c communicating with uh, with anybody who wants to com communicate and get better. Coach, can't thank you enough for coming on the podcast, my man. I uh, really appreciate you. Appreciate it, knowledge. Thanks for listening to the Beyond the Box Score podcast. Don't forget to subscribe, leave reviews, and rate five stars.